Welcome to the second season of the PEBC podcast. My name is Michelle Jones, and I will be hosting our series on phenomenal teaching. In season two, we will take a deeper dive into how the strands of the PEBC teaching framework of planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment cultivate student agency, equity, and understanding for each and every student. I'm honored to share these conversations with authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers with you. Thank you so much for listening in. Today, Chris Devani is helping me kick off season two of the Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. Chris, it is such an honor to have you as our first guest of 2021. You have such a rich history with the PEBC, and we are thrilled to have you as an engaged colleague and thought partner. Chris, how are you today? Oh, just great. It's wonderful to be here, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I want to share a little story with you. You know that I was a Title I reading teacher for middle school kids. And when I was teaching reading at the middle school level, I was asked over and over again, why do we have to read this? Or why do we have to do this? And at that time, I was collaborating and co-teaching with a really smart educator, Jennifer Brandt. And Jen and I did tons of co-planning together. It was at that time in our careers when we were, you know, at school, probably more than we were home. And we actually used that question to help guide our planning. Our goal was for our kids to not ask us anymore, why do we have to read this or why do we have to do that? And at that time, we were really leaning heavily into your first two books. So I read it, but I didn't get it. That was something we heard all the time when we were conferring with kids. And so we were really striving for deeper comprehension. We also were facilitating PD in our building. And the question, why do I have to teach reading, came up over and over again as colleagues were really starting to explore what we would now call disciplinary literacy. You know, at that time, we were telling content area reading. So here it is, 2021. You've done it again. Your latest book is entitled, Why Do We Have to Read This? And I know teachers everywhere, when they see that title or they see that book, they have a connection they've been asked that question. So I'm really curious if we could start off today by hearing, how did this latest book come to be? Well, it's just such a dreaded question. Like no teacher ever wants to hear that, right? It's so annoying. Right. And just, <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. You think, you know, what, how do I answer this? And the tendency is because I said so. And so, you know, I was um, working a lot on the road before the pandemic hit and doing lots of demonstration lessons in teachers' classrooms where I would plan with them and um, try to um, use their curriculum and content, whatever unit they were in, and model reading strategy and how to use workshop model. And um, I uh, was sitting with my my friend and instructional coach, Sam Bennett, and, and Sam said, okay, so what are some, like, what do you think about when you walk into these classrooms of 30 plus kids that you've never seen before? Like, how do you plan these demos? Um, and I said, well, I don't know. I just, I, I've got to just anticipate. I have to anticipate, you know, that there's going to be struggling readers in there. I'm going to anticipate there's going to be somebody in there who's mad that I'm doing a, their teacher job instead of their regular teacher. Um, I think I just have to see YA. And, and we both started laughing and we were thinking, yeah, yeah. Like how, how do you cover your, you know, what? Um, and so we sort of put that away for a little while. And I was digging into um, Stephen Wolk's book, Being Good. And he's got a great, he, he quotes, um, I think it's Demarius and LeCompte on what their definition of curriculum is. And at the time, I didn't realize that curriculum is everything. 
what kids read, what they what they view, how the teacher arranges the room, how the teacher talks. And so I don't know if Sam came up with this or I came up with it, but we thought, okay, when when you're planning and we have to cover your ass, maybe we, we can't say that in front of teachers or mixed company. Why don't we call it curriculum you anticipate? And so f- from there, we started thinking about, um, you know, all the things that uh, we do to get ready for our lab. So Sam, Sam will um, facilitate those labs and she records questions and everything she hears kids say. And so we have these great notes to go from. And she noticed that, that we had a pattern of CYA strategies that were showing up in every single class we taught. Wow. So that is really cool. So when you think about that, the whole genesis of the book really just is coming from this need to plan student learning opportunities where kids are engaged and that you're looking at the curriculum really holistically. And so I, one thing I'm really excited to talk today about are that CYA kind of framework, if you will. Um, you know, Wendy Ward Hoffer's book, Phenomenal Teaching, was just produced, actually published right before the pandemic. So in the last few months, we have really explored how that st- the strands of the PEBC teaching framework can transcend any teaching context, hybrid, remote, in-person learning. And the one strand that has come over, come out again and again and again is planning and the importance of planning. And you know, how do you plan with purpose and people and process in mind? And so looking at your six T's and looking at you know, that aspect of the PEBC teaching framework, my brain was just synthesizing and just making so many connections and thinking like you said, that idea of curriculum is everything. It's everywhere. So I'm wondering if today, if you wouldn't mind sharing the six T's with us and actually sharing that CYA framework with our listeners. Sure, I'd love, I'd love to. Wendy, and Wendy's book, Phenomenal Teaching, is amazing. Um, if you haven't got it, run out now because it's terrific. Um, well, I, I have to also give a shout out to another PBC person because those six T's really, came, really were sort of the genesis from um, a book called Transformational Literacy that Suzanne Plout, a former PVC person, um, co-wrote with Ron Berger and several other colleagues from Expeditionary Learning. And they have a little framework where they um, use four T's to plan their unit. And I noticed that I was using those four T's, but then there were two more that kept resurfacing over and over again in our notes um, that I wanted to start to more intentionally uh, integrate into the planning. And so um, I'm just going to start with uh, my, my, I think my favorite one, which really changed my life from becoming a reading teacher to somebody who is um, teaching kids to be better readers and writers, is that idea of planning, um, using, using skills and strategies and standards and cradling them um, in a compelling topic. Something that um, is going to provoke kids to um, want to read, want to write, want to talk about something that's relevant, something that's current. Um, if I can kind of take what I'm required to teach and couch it in a compelling topic, all kinds of great things happen. Um, you know, text starts to fall into my lap. Um, kids can see a purpose for that learning. Um, and so, for example, I was just working with some science teachers the other day, and they were going to do something on the carbon cycle and um, systems and uh, climate change. And it was just like, ugh, it was all these 
it was all these sort of disconnected science standards. And um, I started thinking about those horrible, horrible forest fires that, that we had here in Colorado and that I know the West Coast had. And I, I did a little digging into that. And I realized like those fires really have a connection to climate change and the carbon cycle and how scientists predict, predict you know, what's going to happen in the spring when the snow starts to melt off. And so we started to couch start to build a unit around those compelling topics of just you know fires and how are they connected to the science that we're that, that we're studying and that was sort of a fun way to pull in something that was not very relevant to kids to something that mattered what's interesting is when you talk about topic is I think about you know relevancy for students and engagement but I also think about the relevancy for teachers and engagement I think, you know, thinking through our content and our content standards through a compelling topic, I think gives educators a lot of energy as well as providing engagement opportunities for students. Has that been your experience or, you know, what do you find when you, when you pose a, a juicy topic, if you will, when you're working with teachers? Well, it's, it's so much more fun to, to, to plan. And part of it is you're, you're learning with the kids. So it becomes this really authentic opportunity to model your questions that you care about and how you go about finding answers to those questions and who do I need to write to to tell about this information I've learned. It just it becomes so much more authentic. And I think you know if you're a language arts teacher, you can absolutely do this with novels. Um, you know we all kind of believe in themes and as themes kind of transcend time. And um, I was working on a unit uh, last fall with The Great Gatsby. And um, we decided to couch The Great Gatsby in the theme of white privilege and explore white privilege through through that lens. And so we've got the story and now we've got all this great nonfiction text that we can pair up with it. Um, and then kids, kids were planning on writing these kind of um, soapbox speeches to talk about their positions. And uh, it just it just becomes more real, I think. And when kids are saying, why do I have to read this? It, it, I think it's a really clear message to us as teachers that we're not giving them enough reasons to read and write. And, and, and we've got to start to provide that for kids. I love it. So after topic, what might we consider? What's the next element that you think is, is critical? No, and I don't, you know, I don't necessarily think that they're, they go in order, linear order. You know, sometimes you might have a topic pop up, but then sometimes you might have like a text that you have to teach like The Great Gatsby. Um, and so um, text is another one. And you you know as a teacher, if you've been in the classroom for more than 15 minutes, that you're going to have a wide range of readers. You just are. You're going to have struggling readers all the way up to really advanced readers. I guess I should say striving readers all the way up to really advanced readers. You might have emerging bilinguals. Um, and so providing text that... Um, that that meet a variety of reading levels, but also text structures um, to help kids delve into and uncover content of that topic that you're studying. So those two kind of, for me, are bookends. Um, but then I really want to think about, um, like, what, what sort of targets am I going for? Like, mm. What do I want kids to know and be able to do at the end of the unit? Um, and And then how are they going to show me that they're doing that. So I think text and targets kind of go together for me, which, um, you know, I think that's probably the, the most challenging part of this kind of planning is making sure that you have a target that kids can actually do something to demonstrate that they've hit that target. Um, 
So that makes me think a little bit about authenticity. And, you know, our really dear colleague, Stevie Quait, often will say, if you can't find it in Barnes and Noble, you shouldn't assign it to kids. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. Like, right? Like, whatever kids are writing should be something that exists in the real world. Yeah. And so yeah. that idea of having a target, you need to have something for, you know, the kids have to be able to strive for a target that is actually, I guess, strivable, that actually exists. Yeah. And so you, so, you know, um, I think we've got targets that are sort of long-term that you work on over the course of the unit. And then I think we've got these supporting targets that um, sometimes are day long, sometimes a week long, depending on what, what the kids need. Those long-term targets are, are just like Stevie said, they're, um, things that are found in the real world. They're makes, if you will, that, that are found in the real world. The supporting targets often are formative assessments for me, like the inner voice sheets and the, um, uh, you know, sticky notes. Uh, it, what's, what was fun about this book, why do I have to read it? We put a whole giant section of think sheets in there that teachers can just kind of tweak to fit whatever unit or content that they're in. But the goal was a way for kids to share um, their thinking so teachers could make sure, you know, small tweaks in the next day's instruction. Um, and so I think thinking about tasks, um, hitting those targets, um, they kind of have to go together as a pair. That's what I was just thinking, because I know we were talking about targets and the short-term targets, thinking about those as some of those formative assessment opportunities, mm-hmm. the long-term targets really link then to those meaningful tasks. Yes, that yes. And whatever we're creating, the big make that you, you talk a lot about has to be that authentic task, but it has to be connected to the target. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, we talk a lot about making sure kids hit the standards. And, you know, I just don't think a multiple choice test does it. And so for those long-term targets, there's got to be some sort of, you know, demonstration of understanding, whether it's performative or it's a, you know, piece of writing that's sent to a local paper, or it's a, it's a, you know, infographic that they're sharing with professionals in the world. Um, There's got to be some complexity built into that so they can actually demonstrate. And then those, those supporting targets are kind of like steps in the ladder that help kids build towards a really quality product at, at the end. So really when we're thinking about going back to topic, if you will, or going back to text, we're always thinking with the end in mind. We're always have our eye on what it is kids need to know, understand, and be able to do. And like you said, you're, you're building that ladder almost to that, to that final, that final task. There are two other T's that you haven't mentioned yet. And they're really intriguing to me. Um, thinking about time, I know that um, particularly now with so many teachers teaching in a hybrid context or even a full virtual context, and even when we were face-to-face in our regular classrooms a year ago, time is a commodity that we never feel like we have enough of. And then the final T, tending, has me really curious. So when it comes to those two, what are you thinking and, and what are you... You want to share well, with they, us? They kind of go hand in hand, I think. Um, you know, having been a high school teacher for so many years, I, I was really a slave to the clock. Like I knew I only had X amount of minutes and then that bell was going to ring and kids were out of there. And I, and I also knew that I only had so many um, days in a unit. And so I think sometimes 
lack of time drove my decision making and and I and I think that really I think that really impacted students. Um nobody learns at the same pace and so one of the things I really started to play with was that idea of 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 manipulating time to help kids um you know, to, well, to consider kids who needed maybe more time. Do you need, you know, more time to read this chapter? Um, I'll then, you know, summarize the next two chapters for you so you can stay caught up with your book club. But I don't want you to fake read the whole thing. I want you to really dig into this one chapter and I'll help you with the other. Or how about doing one inner voice sheet instead of three that you do really well? Like kind of thinking about giving kids more time to dig into a task, um, but also then how do I build my lesson plans so I'm thinking about um, minutes that kids are going to do reading, writing, and talking. Um, so instead of planning what I'm going to do, I'm kind of thinking about, okay, what are the kids going to read? What are they going to write? What are they going to talk about? Because we know from all the research, the, the more you do it, the better you get. Mm. So I think that time piece is really important in terms of, of doing the work. But I think it's also, there's like a humanitarian piece attached to that. Um, with well, I think that kind of ties with that tending. Um, I know when I'm really rushed to do a project, mm. I tend not to even start it. Um, it. I know that if somebody's going to just kind of push me through something, I'll just do enough to survive. Um, and so the, that last T is really kind of tending to kids. And I think this was one, I think this is an area where um, I, this is a strong suit for me is kind of thinking about, um, the kid before the curriculum, um, Larry Ferrazzo, I always see his name wrong, Larry Ferrazzo, who writes for Ed Week, amazing um, ELL teacher, um, wrote an article and he had said, okay, we got to think about Maslow before Bloom. And that has really, really stuck with me. He wrote this article several years ago, but that idea of like, okay, just tending to kids' needs first. Like, are you okay? What do you need? Um you know, what, what can I help you with? I think that piece of just kind of being a, a human being goes a long way. And, you know, that time piece really, really ties to that. And I think instead of having the curriculum guide or the bell schedule dictate how much time a kid needs, as a teacher, I've got to really sort of use my good judgment and, and, and make adjustments um, where I can. Mm-hmm. That just causes me to pause and think about, you know, the humanity of school, right? And it's a place where people go, um, kids and adults. And one theme I'm kind of, I think, synthesizing from the tease is around choice and perhaps ownership. And I know that not all systems provide those opportunities for teachers or for students. So if I'm looking at these six T's and feeling really excited and I'm reading your book and getting lots of ideas and so many resources and so many practical examples, what if I have that, that little, little voice on my shoulder or in my ear saying, oh, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I, if I have those choices and I don't know if I can, if I can take that kind of ownership what what might you how might you support me or coach me through through that kind of a, a concern? Well, I think one of the reasons why I've always loved working with striving readers is that many people have already given up on them. Every mm. you know, many people have already said, "Okay, these kids can't." And so, 
Um, I think that idea of what do we have to lose? Like, like, you know, what, rarely did an administrator come into my classroom. So it wasn't like I had this policeman telling me that I had to do this, that, or, you know, so that idea of thinking about, um, you know, what we've done so far hasn't worked. So let's, let's, let's go a little bit slower. Let's, let's do one less unit. Let's build in some more choice for kids. Um, the thing that the thing that's so weird about this uh, about this book is we turned it in. Sam and I turned this in. She helped me edit it um, a year ago, and we organized the first five chapters around the masks of disengagement the kids wear. And it's so freak. It's so weird because of the masks that we're wearing now. But the idea was, um, you've got kids coming in with a mask on, maybe it's the mask of the class clown or the mask of the of, of the angry kid or apathetic kid or the kid who, you know, tries to be invisible. They're not like that all day long. There are other places where that that mask of class clown comes off and they're at lacrosse practice and they are serious as a heart attack. And so thinking about, all right, how can I make, um, you know, my classroom a place where, where I have different T's that I could use to help kids take that mask off to be vulnerable and to dig in um, to the work. And I think um, it's a kid by kid slog. So for teachers who are thinking that, okay, I've got to stay on this path that works for me, it doesn't work for every kid. And that's why we're losing kids. And now that so many children are on, um, you know, virtual learning, they're just shutting their cameras off. They're just not coming. Mm-hmm. And 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 so, if we don't try some of this stuff now, when will we ever have the chance or confidence to try to get? Because a lot of things aren't working right now, and so we, we've got this luxury of okay, let's, let's fool around with this. Let's let's just play with this and see what we can do. Chris, thank you so much. And I know that there are also listeners and um, teachers who've read your book who are like, absolutely. Chris has named my beliefs, how I want my classroom to feel, how I want it to run. So, you know, thinking about teachers who might feel a little reticent to the framework or just a little bit concerned, now I want to think about the teachers who are right there. And they're like, yep, absolutely. This makes sense for me conceptually. I can see how I can lay this out. Do you have a story or an example from your planning and your working with kids? Because I know that you still work with kids in classrooms all the time that really illustrates how these teas came together and made a big difference in their learning lives or their personal lives. You know, I was doing a, I was doing a demo in Washington state and it was a, it was a two day demo and it was a social studies class. And um, the teacher wanted me to do something around the causes of the civil war. And she had these very clear reasons and she had the textbook and the whole nine yards. And I thought, okay, I got to find better text because the the textbook isn't going to meet everybody's needs. And I got to really think about, okay, you know, when I hear high school social studies teachers talk about the civil war, they argue, they, some say it was slavery, some say it was economics. You know, there's, there's this controversy. Um, So can I build some of that in? And so I had, kind of prepared a lot of the, you know, I, I had some different ways for kids to show me their thinking and I had a compelling task. We were going to look at some of the civil war monuments and try to figure out which ones deserve to be there and which ones did not So uh, there was this one table of boys that I went up to, to confer with. And one of the, the ringleader, you know, he was 
um, you know, you know, sort of the the biggest kid there. Um, I kind of kind of intimidating, and I walked up to the table and I I knelt down next to to him, and um, I said, so, "So, how's it going?" And he said something, and the rest of the table laughed, uh, and then looked at me, and I didn't hear what he said, so I'm sure it was something not very nice. Um, I just ignored it. Um, I, I, I had some, um, text that was just pictures of civil war photos of quotes of modern day slavery that they were to pick and just kind of ask some questions about. And, um, I pulled that text out and I said, you know, is there anything here that you're curious about? He pointed to something and I said, you know, what are you wondering about this? And he looked at me and I said, you have some questions? He goes, yeah. And I said, okay, I'll leave you alone and I'll come back. Well, I came back that afternoon to look at work and he had written no questions and the teachers were kind of, you know, helping me not feel bad. They were saying things like, oh, he's really tough. This is his third school. He doesn't do any work for me. And I said, you know what? I said, I didn't get Edgar today, but I'm going to get him tomorrow. And I didn't mean it like get him in trouble. I meant it with, I'm going to get him engaged but I got to go back and I got to look at those six T's and I got to think about what he needs. Um, and so that idea of thinking about, okay, how are we going to get kids, not, not catch them doing something bad, but how are we going to get them engaged in our content, which we think is so amazing that we've dedicated our life to teaching it, I think comes back to, you know, that compelling topic again and thinking about, okay, what are all those T's that are going to fit with topic? Before we go to standards, like I never start with standards first. I, I, I always start with something compelling and then think about, all right, which standards will work best with whatever unit that we're teaching? So that was kind of a long-winded way around it. But I think the six T's helps us get more kids engaged for more minutes of the day. And instead of trying to get everybody engaged at once, just sort of thinking about, okay, we're going to just pick them off one by one, pull them into the learning. Love it. And I know that everyone listening is wondering what happened the next day. So you'll have, you have to give us the, the, the part two. So what did you do? What tea, you know, you, it got into topic, but then what did you do the next day? And well, the next day um, I went back and I, you know, when I, something I learned from PBC as a young teacher, I, I put sticky notes all over his sheets um, with questions I care about. Like, you know, why do some people think they can tell other people what to do? How, how can there be more slave, enslaved people today than, than there were back in the days of slavery? I just tried to put as many, like, questions as I could think of that um, he, might, he might be curious about. And so one of the questions that, that, that got him was, why do some people get to tell other people what to do? And he said, yeah, why do white people get to tell brown people what to do? And I said, that's a great question. Here's a piece of text that, uh, and I had something, I had, I had some slave revolt text. And I said, so this one might be one that you're interested in where um, enslaved people push back. And this, this might be something. And then he got into that one and read and annotated that piece. Oh. But before I was just like, okay, I'm going to just try to be nicer to this kid. And then it didn't work. And, you know, when that didn't work, then I was like, okay, do I give up on him? But now with these six T's, um, I have ways to tweak it. And with the topic, I know you can't, if you plan to whole unit by a topic, you can't throw that out, but you might change the case study. You might think about, you know, instead of studying 
roller coasters for force in motion for a kid who doesn't like it. Um, maybe you use concussions and car wrecks because you know he's a football player or something. You know, you, you sort of think about how those concepts uh, present themselves in in the real world, um, and that's a way to tweak that topic. Wow, I want to think about. Us, yeah, as I was going to say, you've given us so much to think about, and in really an energizing way. I mean, I think you know I had mentioned before that I feel like planning through these six T's and engaging in these planning conversations really does help me think about what is my purpose, who are the people I'm planning for, and what are the processes that are going to really yield deep understanding and high engagement. And what's fun when planning is fun, getting out all of your materials. Like you said, we've dedicated our lives to teaching this content that we love. And so as teachers, we know what's exciting about our content area. And then thinking about that through the lens of our students, I think is really, really energizing and, and joyful and creative. So as we wrap up today, I'm wondering, what else would you like to share with our listeners? Well, you know, you, you just hit it on the head so beautifully. I think that that long-term planning or that anticipating what kids are going to need beforehand makes that day-to-day um, instruction so much easier um, because you're only just making little shifts then. I don't know. I just, I, as I wrote this book and as I'm talking with you, I'm just thinking about how incredibly complex teaching is. Uh, you know, unless you're a teacher um, or married to a teacher or the parent of a teacher or the child of a teacher, I don't know if you, I don't know if you appreciate the complexity of it. It's just so hard. And then you throw a pandemic on top of it. And, you know, I, I think when we look back on this time, um, teachers will, will be perceived as historical heroes. They will be the ones who have shown up um, every day for kids, um, who haven't taken sick days because there's no subs, who have tried to plan differently. I, I hope I hope that um, once we get through this, that people will see just, just how tough, tough teaching is. And I, I think those teachers out there who are in the midst of this to not get discouraged, to, to keep plugging along because just you're doing, you're doing, you're doing a great job, whether you think you are or not. And, and kids need you right now and, and they always will need you. So thank you to teachers. That's what I guess I'd like to, to end with is thank you to teachers for the incredibly hard work that you're, you're doing for our children. Chris, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your thinking with the education community and your beautiful and engaging writing. And thank you for appreciating teachers and really advocating for, for all teachers everywhere. Thank you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. We hope our time together provided inspiration and information. In closing, PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding, as described in Phenomenal Teaching by Wendy Wardhofer. We now provide customized virtual and on-site professional development, coaching, institutes, and digital courses. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org.